Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. I say this calls for action, and now, nip it in the bud. Well, what I do is uh, I look a woman up and down, and I say, Hey, how you doing? And I hope you're doing well, everybody. This is Jim McCarron's Back with the Good, the Bad, and the TV on the Believe Podcast Network. It's the number one podcast network for professionals. Hey, let's believe in the good, the bad, and the TV. The year is 2002, designated as the International Year of Mountains. And that sound you hear is the tech boom falling off the cliff as the dot-com bubble bursts falling 78% from its peak in the year 2000. Which may or may not be what's behind the Godless Americans March on Washington, which happens this year as 2,000 atheists congregate at the National Mall. Heaven only knows what they're after. In 2002, the euro is officially introduced to the Eurozone countries, just in time for United Airlines and U.S. Airways to file for bankruptcy a year removed from the travel-changing events of 9-11. Good luck getting there. Closer to home, the Justice Department announces it'll pursue a criminal investigation of Enron. The first detainees arrive at Camp X-Ray in Guantanamo. President Bush assails North Korea, Iran, and Iraq as an axis of evil in his State of the Union address. And Vice President Dick Cheney is actually president for a couple of hours while Bush 43 undergoes a colonoscopy. We'll pause here so you can insert your own jokes. Also in 2002, Apollo Anton Ono and Bodie Miller win big and gold at the Salt Lake City Olympics. Alicia Keys and U2 rack up the Grammys, and Oscar finally comes to Richie Cunningham as Ron Howard is named Best Director for A Beautiful Mind. In 2002... FBI agent Robert Hansen is sentenced to life imprisonment, no possibility of parole, for selling American secrets to Moscow. And the Beltway sniper attacks terrorize Montgomery County, Maryland, with the pair behind it soon caught. Life in prison for one, death by lethal injection in 2009 for the other. That's law and order in the USA, just like on TV. Sort of. It depends on the year. For most of TV history, a cop show is a cop show is a cop show, starting with radio import Dragnet in the 1950s. Just the facts, by the book, good versus bad in a black and white world, year after year. A generation later, in the 1970s, with the world changing, so too does the genre. It begins to speak to that generation, to reflect it. Police Story arrives in 1973, offering increasing shades of gray in its depiction of the boys in blue. A decade later, Hill Street Blues takes the transformation further. Crime and criminals are messy, but so too is policing the streets and those doing the policing. Let's be careful out there. Then a decade later still, in 1993, NYPD Blue shakes up the genre almost permanently. Good and bad, right and wrong, crime and criminal, hero and villain. Well, it's all a bit fluid, isn't it? Just like life. From 1982 to 1995, 
DC-born David Simon works a crime beat as a reporter for the Baltimore Sun. Like many journalists of his generation, Simon's born in 1960, his interest in the Fourth Estate is influenced by Watergate and the Washington Post, by the crusade associated with journalism. In his newsroom, Simon sees how things work and how they don't. Newspapers, the city, government, the rule of law. He takes a sabbatical in 1988 to observe the city up close. He signs on to the homicide unit for 12 months in the city of Baltimore. A book comes out of it called Homicide, A Year on the Killing Streets. And a few years later, a TV show comes of it. It's the other primetime crime show of the 1990s that moves the cop show needle. From Baltimore native and Oscar-winning director Barry Levinson, Homicide, Life on the Street, premieres on NBC in January of 1993, right after the Super Bowl, nine months before NYPD Blue. It runs for six award-winning years, the first one-hour drama to win three Peabody Awards for excellence held up as the realistic cop show of and for a new generation. In 2007, it'll be named by Time Magazine as one of TV's 100 best shows ever. It's a good start in TV for David Simon. In the middle of Homicide's run, a good but not hugely watched run, Simon, who keeps his job at the Baltimore Sun when Levinson first brings the show to NBC, leaves his job to work on and contribute more to the show full-time. Before he does, though, he takes a second leave of absence from The Sun that leads to a book he co-authors with Edward Burns called The Corner, A Year in the Life of an Inner City Neighborhood. It, in turn, once Homicide is done, is developed into a miniseries for HBO called The Corner, which airs in 2000. It's another gritty look at urban America, and Simon's found a home at HBO. Fully immersed in TV at this point, Simon creates The Wire, a dense and complicated exploration of the inner workings of a city in modern America, crime and punishment, and otherwise. It comes to the network in 2002. From Jennifer Wood in Vulture Online, quote, Creator David Simon, who spent more than a dozen years on the crime beat at the Baltimore Sun, produced and co-wrote the series with a veteran Baltimore police officer, Edward Burns, who logged hours with the city's homicide and narcotics departments, and who also worked as a public school teacher. Their intention was to draw from their own experiences to create a smart police drama, but the show quickly morphed into more, namely an examination and ultimately an indictment of the institutions that form the foundation of American society. End quote. The American society here, Baltimore yet again. But if the city serves as backdrop and supporting player in Homicide and The Corner, it's a central character here. The Wire examines the relationship between an institutionalized element of Baltimore and local law enforcement. First up, the local drug trade. That's the roadmap for when the series debuts. The first season, different institutions or elements of the city will each be the focus of future ones. They include Baltimore's seaport system, its local government, the education system, and the world of print journalism. Those latter two appropriate 
given the backgrounds of one-time teacher Burns and longtime reporter Simon. The wire in the title? Certainly symbolic, but also a literal reference to the surveillance that's often necessary in law enforcement. It threads through the entire series. Actors Dominic West and Lance Reddick and Deidre Lovejoy, they're among the many whose characters will be threaded throughout the various arcs over five seasons. And yes, says Simon, the show is framed as a police drama, inspired by the career of longtime homicide cop Burns, but he says the show is really about, quote, the American city and how we live together. It's about how institutions have an effect on individuals, end quote. In other words, call it law and disorder. At heart and in Simon's hands, the show's real star is its writing. At a level far and above even that which is already contributing to a full redefinition of the one-hour drama in the exploding arena of premium TV. Powerful and provocative, near theatrical, it's as much literature as screenwriting. Most of its honors to come, in fact, the Emmy nominations and the hosannas from the Writers Guild, will be for its multi-layered narrative storytelling. Actually, Simon goes further in his description of the series, calling it a visual novel. Each season a different book, reflective of a different theme. Each episode of each season, a chapter in that book, with characters carrying over from arc to arc, novel to novel. There's also a vera similitude, not just behind the camera, in the real-life experiences that inform the writing, but in front of it, too with the series frequently casting real-life local faces, cops, politicians, other officials, even former criminals, in smaller roles. Perhaps the reality of The Wire is too real for some, like, say, for a mass audience. As is the case with Homicide on NBC, The Wire on HBO is respected and applauded, but not highly viewed. Ratings are only so-so. HBO reportedly even considers canceling it midway through what ends up being a five-year run. Of course, that showrunner Simon throughout the series uses such terms as unencumbered capitalism and social compact and long-calcified political processes to describe the show or phrases like a meditation on the death of work and the betrayal of the American working class, or an allegory that draws explicit parallels between the Iraq War and drug prohibition and America's underclass, to explain it, well, perhaps that doesn't help. Even the heaviest of heavy dramas, trading in the most realistic depictions of urban and moral decay, from the NYPD blues of traditional TV to the Sopranos-type efforts on premium TV, offer the occasional measure of relief. During its run, Entertainment Weekly Ken Tucker calls The Wire the greatest show most of America wasn't watching. A passionate fan base develops as The Wire does run its course. Nonetheless, it puts viewers through their paces, with some saying its greatest achievement comes towards the end of season three, the arc that explores local government in an episode called Middle Ground. A lot happens in this second-to-last episode of the season. A shocking death occurs, and a key scene deals with betrayal, the kind of betrayal throughout the episode 
throughout the series. Again, from Vulture's Jennifer Wood, quote, The scene is wrought with emotion, love, fear, regret, and a layer of tension that can't be ignored. Neither involved in it knows that the other has betrayed him, and that only one will survive the season. George Pelicanos, who wrote the episode, called it the best thing I'll ever have my name on. We don't disagree. End quote. When The Wire is finally disconnected from HBO in 2007, it's lauded, mourned, eulogized, but not really completely buried. In death, The Wire has an afterlife. It seeps into and spreads throughout the veins of pop culture, a reference point for excellence in television, a vanguard for all of crime drama to live up to, to aim for. The Wire becomes a sort of primetime missing link. There are the crime-related TV shows made before The Wire comes along, and then there's everything that comes along after. Writes Drake Bennett on Slate.com in 2010, quote, Even academics can't seem to get enough of The Wire. Barely two years after the show's final episode aired, there have already been academic conferences, essay anthologies, and special issues of journals dedicated to the series, Not content to write about it and discuss it amongst themselves, academics are starting to teach it as well. Professors at Harvard, UC, Berkeley, Duke, Middlebury are now offering courses on the show. Interestingly, the classes aren't just in film studies or media studies departments. They're turning up in social science disciplines as well, places where the preferred method of inquiry is the field study or the survey, not the HBO series even one that is routinely called the best television show ever. Some sociologists and social anthropologists, it turns out, believe The Wire has something to teach their students about poverty, class, bureaucracy, and the social ramifications of economic change. End quote. Or, as one admirer notes in 2013, in, of all things, an online James Bond chat room, quote, Ah, The Wire. Is it a stretch to say that The Wire is the greatest work of anything ever made by anybody from any region of the planet at any point in history? Absolutely not, methinks. End quote. You gotta believe. Hey, send us some questions and feedback and suggestions, please, on Twitter at Believe Podcast or at Believe.com. That's also where you can get some information on advertising on any Believe show, too but especially mine. Find and download The Good, The Bad, and The TV on Apple, where you can subscribe and rate it. Or Spotify, where you can follow it. Also, just plain listen for a new drop each Thursday on these sites, or Stitcher, or Luminary, or TuneIn, or Google Play. Be sure to like the show all over your social media as well. I'd appreciate that. I'm Jim McCarrens. We'll connect again. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. 
Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.